Welcome to the Nutrition Edit Podcast for high-performing women who want to up-level their health and feel their best in their bodies, careers, and personal lives. In this podcast, I'll sift through the latest nutrition and biohacking trends to filter out the bullshit, share what you really need to know, and help you put the good stuff into practice in a way that works for you. You'll get actionable tips from guest experts and myself on how to up-level your mindset, workouts, relationships, and environment, and start feeling like the badass woman you are. Join me as we bust through the bro science and male-centric health paradigm to help you achieve optimal performance, body, mind, and soul. So let's jump into today's episode. I wanted to share with you a little bit about my recent ADHD diagnosis, why I decided to seek a diagnosis, and what I have found as far as support and workarounds that I think you might find helpful too if you're someone who is not interested in taking medication or is someone who does not tolerate medication well. So stick around for all of those tips at the end of this episode. Um, But I wanted to kind of share how I reached this point in my life and what drove me to get some help around this. Most of the people that I have shared my diagnosis with say that they would never have guessed that I have ADHD. And That's likely because of a couple reasons. I think, first of all, we tend to think of people with ADD or ADHD as being super hyperactive, talking a lot, being disruptive as kids in class, struggling in school, just, you know, struggling to keep things organized or always losing their keys, whatever that might be. And that is pretty true of young men. Like, Boys, men are often pretty easily diagnosed with ADD or ADHD. The symptoms are relatively common or commonly recognized, I should say, more easily recognized in boys. But for women, it's very, very different. And with me, I have the type of ADHD that is more common in women, and it is known as inattentive type, which is often diagnosed later in life, especially once we hit perimenopause or menopause because our changes in our hormones can affect our serotonin and dopamine production. (laughs) I need to enunciate better. So another interesting aspect of this is that people with an attentive type like me were often not physically noticeably hyperactive or disruptive as kids. So we often go under the radar and parents are often told that their child is daydreaming a lot or they just need to apply themselves more or, you know, Little Jeannie is just in her own little world. Often they're always late or they struggle with time management as kids. They may struggle about with or struggle with school or their studies, but they can usually manage pretty well and tend to get decent grades. So they don't always obviously struggle in school. And, you know, I was told all of those things, especially that Jeannie just needs to apply herself more. That was a really common one for me. And I remember thinking, I am. I'm applying myself as hard as I can. (laughs) What am I doing wrong? Why is it taking me so long to learn this information or to study or be ready for a test? And so that is a common thing. You know, women and girls are not necessarily disruptive in class. We can often be more compliant and flying under the radar because we don't want to be disruptive. We're trying to hide the fact that we're struggling so much internally. And that was definitely, definitely me. The hallmarks of inattentive ADHD would include things like easily distracted, 
Um, we tend to be very forgetful. This is a big one for me. Oftentimes impulsivity is a challenge. We tend to be compliant, like I said, or obedient is a good word. And some of the really damaging traits of this are that we tend to judge ourselves really harshly and we'll often take out our problems on ourselves instead of others. So we tend to internalize things a lot, uh, which is not necessarily healthy. And it can be, you know, really hard on us. It can cause a lot of stress and, and anxiety. And so there's another type that women can be diagnosed with in addition to hyperactivity, which is called combined type. And these are your girls who are more easily diagnosed. They tend to be super chatty, maybe restless. Often they're really excitable. They can be overly dramatic. Sometimes they're really poor listeners. And that is more easily recognized, but still often overlooked in girls when they're young. And as of 2016, statistically, <laughs> I don't know what the newest number on this is, but as of 2016, it was estimated that 50 to 75% of females with ADHD go undiagnosed, which is a staggering number to me. And something I want to point out here that people have said to me and that I know is said to others often when they mention that they've been diagnosed with this is, oh, everybody has ADHD now, or everybody thinks they has a, have ADHD. And there's this assumption that we're just jumping on a bandwagon, or it's a social trend that we're jumping into. And I want to call this out because you may have been told this, you may be thinking this, and I will tell you out the gate, I am not a bandwagon person. I've said this before on previous episodes. If, so, if everybody's doing it, if it's a big trend, I am probably the last person to get involved in that. That to me is a turnoff. I'm very individualistic that way. I am not a bandwagon person and I don't tend to go along with the crowd, which apparently is an ADHD trait as well. <laughs> Conformity is not our jam. And so I was very hesitant and I really did a lot of research and carefully looked into this before I even considered that this was a possibility for me. And I'll tell you why I thought it was a possibility. I was hearing from women I'd met recently or people I heard on podcasts or friends talk about their ADHD symptoms. And the more I heard people talk about their symptoms, the more I thought, my God, that sounds so familiar. That's me. Oh, that sounds like me. And I thought, this is a little bit uncanny. Like, how is it possible that all these things are things that are traits that I share? Maybe this could be what's going on with me. And I looked into it because I'll tell you, as someone who runs a small business, I have to wear health hats all the time. And my inability to focus and stay on track with certain things or even start certain projects that aren't super exciting or interesting to me was really disrupting my daily life. It was really, really difficult. And I would get so frustrated with myself because I felt like, why can't I accomplish things at the same rate that my peers accomplish them. Why does everything take me so much longer? Or, you know, if I'm learning a new skill, like I feel like it takes me so much, I have to work harder and longer to learn or accomplish what it takes my peers a fraction of the time. Like what's the deal? And as a young person, I was started in school a year earlier than my classmates. I was eager to start school as a little kid. And I also came from a family of extraordinary extraordinarily tall women, excuse me. My grandmother was six foot two. My uncles are all over six, four, I believe. My mom was six feet tall. And my mom was kind of worried I'd be taller than all the other kids. So she started me early, which I'm thankful for now. I think it was actually a great move. 
However, a lot of my struggles in school were chalked up to me just being a year younger than my classmates, which made perfect sense, right? But now looking back, I realize, oh, wait a minute, there was more going on than that. So there are a lot of reasons that I decided to, to seek a diagnosis. And a lot of people will say, well, if you're not interested in taking a drug, there's no reason to get a diagnosis officially, which sure, I think that that's kind of true. But for me, it was really about understanding how my brain worked. And I wanted to know the truth either way. If it was ADHD, okay, fine, great. And if it's not, great. But I want to know what is going on because then I can make changes or do what I need to do to support my cognitive function and feel like I am more productive, focused, less scattered, less anxious, all of these things. I just wanted to have some answers. So for me, even though I wasn't really necessarily interested in medication, I wanted to know one way or the other. And I decided to pursue this because the level of struggle that I was having with focus was just so incredibly frustrating to me. And it's isolating too, because you feel like, well, gosh, what's, what's wrong? Like, why do I always feel so different from everybody? Or like, I'm struggling more, like I'm always behind the curve. What is going on? So I didn't know much about ADHD drug options. Um, if you know me at all, you know, I'm not big into pharmaceuticals. I, I think they absolutely have a time and a place and that's completely up to you. I have no judgment towards anybody who decides to take a medication. I just was hesitant to take something that I had to be on every day, all the time for the rest of my life um, that may have side effects. Like I was just really wary of that for myself. And so I just encourage you to check with your own doctor, talk with your doctor, decide what's right for you, and then pursue that regardless. Don't, don't worry about anybody else's opinion. You need to do what's right for you and your body, okay? But for me, I was curious if there was something that I could take on an as-needed basis because I didn't want to be on something endlessly. So when I first saw a doctor, they had the best intentions, but they were very brief and dismissive, I would say. They gave me a really short quiz that had about 11 questions on it, and they were all about school-age behavior and, you know, was I disruptive, was I hyperactive, all the things that we associate with, with boys with ADHD. And it was clear to me after what I had learned in my own previous research that this particular doctor was not familiar with how ADHD can present so differently in women. And I really just wanted to make sure that whether they said, yes, you have this, no, you have this, that I had been given a really thorough assessment by someone who really knew how it presents in women and who really listened to me about every detail of my struggles and the challenges that I've had. And the reasons that I thought this may be going on so that if it wasn't what was going on, we could then go down that road instead <laughs> and figure out, okay, how can I best support myself, right? So I ended up seeing a doctor who I was referred to by a friend. She spent about an hour and a half with me asking me a ton of questions, was very thorough, listened beautifully, and said, yes, Jeannie, there is no doubt in my mind that you have inattentive type ADHD. And I'll tell you, to hear those words come out of her mouth, and even more so when I saw them on a piece of paper, like on my um, chart note, it brought me to tears. It was the strangest experience because I just suddenly felt this wave of relief come over me. It explained so many things that I've struggled with all of my life and just blamed myself for or saw as shortcomings, weaknesses, 
you know, questioned my intelligence, even though I know I'm an intelligent person. I, I couldn't work in nutrition if I wasn't. But it made me question it from time to time because I just felt like, guy, you know, why can't I just get on board? Like, no one else struggles with this. What's my problem? So it was really, really a relief. It was validating. And it just felt so good to have an answer, right? But the flip side of that was this period of grief that I went through. And I've heard other people with ADHD talk about this too. There's this time when you're sort of grieving what could have been if you had known sooner. You know, you realize, wait a minute, I struggled unnecessarily with so many things in my life, or I was so hard on myself in this way or that way, or about so many things that I beat myself up for that now make perfect sense. And you know, I'm kind of past that grief period now. I'm in a place where I can go, wow, you know what, Jeannie? Damn, you actually did pretty darn well considering how challenging different aspects of life were. You know, I used to just berate myself over the fact that I couldn't stick to one thing for a really long time, be it a sport or a job or, you know, schooling, whatever it might be. I just would get bored so quickly and lose interest and have to shift gears and needed to be in different places all the time. And if I wasn't moving around, like I just would, you know, get so bored and antsy and depressed. And now I understand what that's all about. And, you know, thankfully I've found a career doing what I do that is always stimulating, always new, always exciting. There's always new information to learn. Like you never reach the finish line and I love it. That's why, you know, I'm still doing this 10 years later. So I feel really, really lucky to have found something that suits me so well, like I have. Um, so anyway, I just want to encourage you all, if you're feeling or questioning like, hey, could this be going on with me? You know what? Pursue it to the degree that makes that you feel good about, that helps you to function better or just feel good about who you are and how you function so that you can get the support that you need and not feel so isolated. Because I think that that's the worst part of this for many of us who are, you know, neurodivergent is that we have this constant feeling that we don't fit in, especially if you're someone like me who isn't necessarily, you know, part of a big friend group. Like I've always had a lot of friends that were really close, but in random kind of groups of people and um, maybe not a ton of friends all at once, but just sort of a small handful of, of people who are really close. And now I see all my close friends and I look at them and I realize, oh my gosh, they're so similar to me. Many of them have been diagnosed too. And it all makes sense. Like This is why we gravitate towards each other <laughs> because we kind of get each other and how each other's brains work. And you know we don't feel as much like outsiders when we're together. So anyway, I just wanted to share a lot of that with you. And I also want to read off a little bit of a list for you because there are a lot of things that women and girls experience or struggle with when they have ADD or ADHD. And I want to share this with you because I think that they're really important things to look out for, especially for those of you who have daughters or nieces or young people in your lives who maybe are struggling and need, you know, some support or recognition around this. So just some statistics for you. So girls and women with ADHD, we are more likely to have eating disorders and body dysmorphia. We are more prone to addictive behavior. We're more prone to depression and anxiety, which, you know, there's some discussion around like, well, what comes first? Does the ADHD cause anxiety, which I definitely think is the case with me, or 
is anxiety something that's just intertwined or is it totally separate from ADHD? And I think that that varies depending on the individual, but they often go hand in hand. We are more likely to think about or attempt suicide as neurodivergent people. We are more prone to impulsivity, choosing immediate gratification over long-term larger rewards. So, you know, because we kind of want that dopamine hit or that instant like rush of endorphins, that kind of feel-good sensation, um, this is really common, a common cause of why neurodivergent people tend to gravitate towards like high sugar, high carb foods, um, what I call blissy foods, because it gives us that kind of instantaneous dopamine hit. But unfortunately, we are sacrificing our long-term health, you know, in place of that short-term fix. So this is a really common challenge. Um, you know, again, conforming or confirmation doesn't necessarily come naturally to us. So we tend to gravitate gravitate, excuse me, towards other neurodiverse people. Um, we do often feel like outsiders. We are sometimes like the weird kid at school. And that can be really, really isolating. And, you know, that, of course, can worsen any anxiety or depression that we may be experiencing. We also are really hard on ourselves. We tend to judge ourselves really, really harshly. And we compensate often with obsessive hypervigilance. What do I mean by that? So sometimes this can present as what people think of obsessive compulsive behaviors. So maybe, you know, making sure all your ducks are in a row, so to speak, like making, for me, it was, it's always making sure that my keys are put away in the same place or that everything has a place and it's where it's supposed to be. Because if it's not, I'll have a hard time finding something and then I can spin out. It'll make me late. I get anxious. Like it's just a vicious cycle, but it can also manifest in hypervigilance, like, you know, being always looking over your shoulder, never feeling safe, worrying that the other shoe is always going to drop. And perfectionism is a huge thing, like really being hypervigilant about getting everything right or doing something perfectly before we put it out there. And that's a really, really common, common challenge. It can also, well, it is also very hard for us to focus on things that are not interesting to us. And on the flip side, be hyper-focused on things that are super interesting to us. I have seen this in myself when I'm putting together a new program for my clients. I can just dive into that once I get started. Sometimes it's hard to get started because I feel really easily overwhelmed. But if I can push past that and start a project, once I'm in, I am all in. And look out, like it's really hard for me to shift out of that and work on something else and then come back to it. Like I tend to be really hyper-focused on whatever that project is in the moment. You know, if you let me, I could do that like 24-7. And unfortunately, life doesn't work like that. We have daily obligations, and clients, and all different things that we have to incorporate and, you know, move in and out of and be able to refocus on each of those things um, or refocus our attention on something different. And so that is a real challenge for, for people with ADHD. And for women, I think that this is especially hard because we are expected to do all the things. We're often, you know, managing children, aging parents, a career, social life. We're trying to stay in shape. We're trying to keep our nutrition on point. We're trying to have some fun in life somehow. And there's 16,000 balls in the air all at one time. And that can be really, really difficult because often we'll feel like we're just dropping balls left and right and we can't keep it together. And why can everybody else do it? But I'm not doing it. And it's just this whole snowball effect. So another interesting <laughs> feature that we have is that we will often attempt to connect with people when we're talking by sharing personal stories. And I do this, I've found often with clients, if they're sharing a challenge with me, 
or telling me about something that they're struggling with or a story or something, I really have to stop myself from jumping in and going, oh, I can totally relate to that because I da 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 da. And this can be perceived as us trying to make things about us. That is not what's happening. This is a way of us trying to connect and make you feel seen and accepted. It's our way of saying, I get you. I hear you. I understand. I've been there. And a lot of people don't appreciate that. And so, you know, I try to kind of rein that in and only do that when appropriate. But if you've worked with me and I've done that to you, just know I am not trying to make it about myself. It's just a way of us trying to connect on a deeper level. So those are some of the really just common traits that are often shared amongst women and people with ADD or ADHD. And I thought that was important. So you can kind of recognize those either in yourself or others. The one last thing I want to mention here too is memory. So that forgetfulness piece is really big for some of us. And for me, this was a main reason why I decided to seek out help. I have so much of my life that I just don't remember, like big chunks. And I'm like, how do I not remember that? People will say to me, my sister's a perfect example. She has a mind like a steel trap and she can remember the most minute detail. She can tell me what I was wearing on such and such a date when we went to this place and stuff that I'm like, how on earth? Like if you showed me a picture, I may not remember that day. I mean, obviously big events, like I know what I wore on my wedding. I will remember, but the forgetfulness piece can be really disconcerting. And this is something that has been in place my whole life. It's not something new because that would have been really alarming. You know, I did worry, oh gosh, could this be something that's like, you know, early onset? But no, it definitely is not, thankfully. But that was one thing I wanted to clarify, that there was nothing else going on or any concerns about my brain health. And apparently this is really common. Mel Robbins talks about it on her podcast, how there are whole chunks of her life or times that she just has zero memory of. And part of that can be a trauma response for some people too. If you are emotionally checked out of your body, you're not going to really experience and integrate whatever experience it is or the time and the place, whatever's going on. You won't necessarily integrate those memories as well, but it's also something that happens with ADHD. We just don't form memories about certain things. And so for me, that was a real, that was a really scary piece. And I really wanted answers about that. So that was a huge relief. And now I kind of know how to better support myself. And I do know too that that stress management is huge for me, just being able to be more present in my life. And that does help me form memories better. Sleep is also huge for memory. I'm going to talk about that in a couple of minutes here, the importance of sleep. But I did want to throw that in because I think a lot of people get really freaked out by this. And it's something that's really common with ADHD. So it may not be something scary at all. You may just need to know, you know, why that's going on for you if that is something that you're experiencing as well. Okay, let's jump into what you can do about it. And I'll share some of my tips for lifestyle changes, nutrition, and hopefully these will be helpful for you as well. Oh, one more thing before we move on that I want to mention. So you may have heard the term highly sensitive person. This is becoming more recognized recently. This just means that you're someone who is highly sensitive to everything that's going on around you. This can be people, this can be environmental things like sound, lighting, you know, chemicals, scents, tastes, things like that. It can also mean that you're highly sensitive to others, like others' emotions, so you can pick up on their emotions easily. 
this doesn't mean necessarily that you're like, an, you know, what people say, oh, you're too sensitive or you're overly sensitive, someone whose feelings are hurt really easily. This is not necessarily the same thing. That can be part of it. But a highly sensitive person is someone who is just kind of, they're picking up everything around them. And this is a really common trait with people with ADHD. We can walk into a room and immediately pick up on like if there's tension there or, you know, whatever the vibe is, or we can pick up on other people's emotions really easily. And that can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing. We can also be really environmentally sensitive. So for me, this manifests as environmental, like allergens, things like that. Scents for me are a huge problem. Like when people wear fragrance, which look, synthetic fragrance, things like that, they're so toxic. They're loaded with endocrine disrupting chemicals, which mess with their hormones. They're toxic. They're nasty. Like we're coming up on scented candle season here, people. Like ditch it. <laughs> Get rid of all that stuff. Use organic essential oils. Ditch the other fragrances. They're just bad for us. But for people like me who are really sensitive to them, I can have immediate headaches. I can break out in hives. I mean, a lot of people with ADHD are just more environmentally sensitive. Sometimes their allergies are worse. They can be really funny about food textures, all kinds of things. So if you know someone like that, try not to be judgy about it. Try to be a little more compassionate and understanding because it's not a choice. It's not just because they're trying to be high maintenance. So, okay, that's it. Let's move on. So let's talk about strategies. So I want to talk about lifestyle stuff first. So number one, most important thing, sleep. I know I bang on about this constantly. You've heard me talk about it before. Sleep is crucial. Sleep is so important for cognitive health. I don't care if you're neurodivergent, neurotypical. Everybody needs quality sleep. But those of us who struggle with executive function in our brains or ADHD, we need it even more. Your brain is detoxing during sleep. You know, Sleep is not a passive state. There is so much going on when we're sleeping. So sleep is really, really crucial. And if you've ever had really bad jet lag or been sleep deprived, maybe you've had you know, a baby and been sleep deprived for days, weeks at a time, you know how much it messes with your brain function. It is a fast train to brain fog and it's no joke. It's not good. So sleep, crucial, crucial, crucial. Prioritize sleep, do anything that you can or need to improve it. Number two, hydration. Look, no organ or cell in your body is going to function properly if you are dehydrated. So that includes your brain, everybody, and your nervous system. So make sure you're drinking enough water. Shoot for half your ideal body weight in ounces of water every day. So for a 150-pound person, that's 75 ounces every day. More if you're sweating excessively or exercising and sweating a lot. And try to do front-loading. I talked about this last season in an episode about hydration. So start early in the day and then taper off throughout the evening. And that will prevent you from peeing, having to get up and pee during the night, which will wake you up, disrupting your sleep. Don't want it. Okay. Next is exercise. These are my top three. First sleep, second hydration, third exercise. Many people with ADHD, especially those who don't want to take medication, exercise is immensely helpful. This can kind of help you take that hyperactivity out of your brain and release some of that energy through your body and through physical movement. It can also improve your sleep quality and reduce anxiety and depression. So this is a big one. Now, it may not work for you to do your exercise first thing in the morning. If not, do it whenever you can. But I have heard that people find that they're more productive or more just cognitively alert and functional throughout the day when they exercise in the morning. So those are the top three. Next, I find connection with nature is super helpful. Just getting out, listening to birdsong, 
looking up at the leaves and the trees, feeling dirt, grass, sand in your feet, getting out gardening, touching, getting your hands in the soil, all of these things, going into the ocean or lake water, these are all wonderful ways to connect with nature. They reduce stress hormones and they can be really helpful. So that's another lifestyle point. Another thing that's kind of a, a cool bonus that I've discovered, my therapist recommended something to me called binaural beats, B-I-N-A-U-R-A-L. Binaural beats you can find for free on YouTube. I have a little YouTube browser window open with these all the time on my computer, and I throw my headphones on whenever I need to really focus on something and get a lot of work done. I will throw those guys on and listen. It is unbelievably helpful for me. It's like putting blinders on a horse, you know, that's having to draw a carriage through the city. Like it just helps block out everything. And there's something about those binaural beats that really help my brain with focus. Love it. It's free. It's a good option. As far as nutrition goes, there are some supplements I'll share with you, but I always recommend starting with food first. And like I always say, nutrient-dense foods, real foods, so avoid processed, especially like high-sugar, high-carb things, because those will give you that instantaneous dopamine hit, but they're actually going to crash you later, and they can affect your neurotransmitter production long-term so you, and your gut health and all kinds of things. You don't want that. So go for nutrient-dense foods, lots of vegetables, high-fiber, and then plenty of protein. This is really, really crucial. So if you are not getting enough protein, you will not be able to make serotonin and dopamine. So protein and B vitamins too. And often those B12 vitamins are going to come from animal proteins. Protein and B vitamins are crucial for making serotonin and dopamine. And this is what we tend to be lacking or imbalanced in. So those are big ones. And then other nutrients to increase foods that are rich in these are magnesium, iron, zinc, your fat-soluble vitamins, A, D, C, E, K, those are all really crucial. So get all of your colorful veggies in, you know, get your low-sugar fruits in, and get your healthy fats. So that's my next thing I'm going to talk about are fish oils or omega-3 fats. There is a lot of scientific data backing up how effective omega-3 fats are when it comes to brain function and cognitive health, especially for use in ADHD. They've looked at a lot of kids taking fish oils and how it helps their symptoms. But I know for me as an adult, it helps immensely to take, I, I take quite a high dose of fish oils, but, you know, eat your salmon, eat your mackerel, sardines. And then I, on top of all those fish that I eat, take a fish oil supplement. You want a really high quality one that's well purified. I like Nordic Naturals, but you can ask your practitioner for a recommendation. If your omega-3s are too low, it will worsen. ADHD symptoms. We know this. So that's a big one to incorporate. Fermented foods are the next big important thing. So this would be all your fermented vegetables, sauerkraut, kimchi, Atlantic Sea Farms. does this amazing fermented seaweed salad that I'm obsessed with that I love. It's probiotic. So any of those probiotic foods, I don't do cow's milk dairy, but I will occasionally do sheep's milk yogurt. And I love coconut yogurts. All of those that have the live active cultures, those are great because if you're microbiome or your healthy gut flora are either insufficient or not diverse enough or healthy enough, that can affect neurotransmitter production as well. So remember, gut health equals, well, I shouldn't say it equals, it is absolutely intertwined with your neurological health. So that's a big one. Other things are, you know, the magnesium, you can get that in a lot of foods, but I also like to supplement with that because it makes a huge difference for my sleep. And I do take a medication. So I don't take it every single day, 
but I take an as-needed medication. It's a really low dose, and I only use it on days when I really have a ton to get done and I need to be super focused. And it has the ability to deplete certain nutrients, magnesium being one of them. So I supplement with magnesium. I take magnesium 3 and 8, also called Neuromag, in the daytime. And then I take a blend of magnesium. It's got citrate, glycinate, malate. And I take that in the evening or before bed. So most women are deficient in magnesium. So this is something that's important to add in as well. And then L-tyrosine is something super helpful for me. And I'll take that early in the day. And that can help with, with energy, especially on the days I'm not taking the medication. I'll do my L-tyrosine, magnesium 3 and 8, and my fish oils. Those are kind of my go-tos. I also take zinc. Zinc is another important one to incorporate. Um, iron. If you tend to be anemic or you are vegetarian or vegan, you need to take an iron supplement. You know, look at the different forms. There are a couple forms that are constipating, probably not the best option. Get one that is non-constipating and use that because that can be super helpful as well. But again, anytime you go to take supplements, talk to your doctor, make sure that you're not taking anything that would interact with any meds or anything that you're on and just check and double check. Talk to your doc, talk to your pharmacist before you start taking anything. Also adaptogens and what are called nootropics. These are different like herbs or compounds that can be really helpful. Nootropics for like brain function and then adaptogens basically just help your body adapt to stress better. And my favorites are mushrooms. So lion's mane particularly, I really love. I love reishi mushroom. Those are two that I take pretty consistently. I just have a powder that I throw in my smoothie. Ginkgo biloba, is a helpful one for cognitive function. Tulsi or holy basil is really lovely. And that I find is a very stress relieving herb as well. And then there are a couple blends out there that I will sometimes take and rotate, but you may just check out if you're interested. There's one called Nootropic Focus by Gaia Herbs. And there's one called Neuro Steady, N-U-R-O Steady, all one word by Rebel Herbs that is cool. Wild blueberries are also a really excellent food to incorporate. You're getting tons of antioxidants there, and those have been shown to be helpful. I don't want to get too into the woods on some of these things because these are going to be super individual, but they're things that you can kind of check out and look into for yourself. Others are saffron. There's some good research behind that in ADHD and something called Bacopa monieri or Brahmi, B-R-A-H-M-I. It's used in Ayurvedic medicine quite a bit. Ginseng, ginkgo biloba. What else? Pycnogenol. So those are all helpful nutrients or potential supplements that you could look into. But first and foremost, just clean up your diet, get that nutrient-dense food in, lots of veggies, plenty of good quality protein, get your healthy fats, get your sleep, move your body. <laughs> all the basics that I'm always yelling at you about. All right. Well, I want to wrap it up. I don't want to make this too long an episode. I know I kind of blew through that last part because I'm running out of time. I hope you found this helpful and I hope this was encouraging for you. If you, like I was, were struggling with any of these things and want some answers, you know, if at first you don't feel good about whatever practitioner you see or you don't feel like you had a thorough assessment, seek out a second opinion and don't get emotionally attached to getting a diagnosis or a specific diagnosis, I should say. Just seek to find the truth for yourself because then if you know what's going on, you can best support your body and your mind, right? So feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to know what you thought about this episode. Um, shoot me a DM on Instagram, or you can contact me on the contact form on my website. Again, my site is joliverwellness.com, and you can learn about working with me on that work with me tab. Contact me there. 
all kinds of information about the podcast, all the show notes. I'm going to throw a bunch of resources in the show notes for you today so you can just figure out where to seek help or get more information about ADHD. And I'd love to know what you think. And I will look forward to seeing you again next week. Take care. Hey there, thanks for hanging out with me today. And if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave me a quick review. Also check out the show notes for links to connect, follow and share this podcast and for information featured in each episode. See you next time. I am not a doctor and the content here should not be taken as medical advice. All information in this podcast is for informational purposes only, does not constitute medical advice and does not establish any kind of practitioner or coach client relationship. This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Do not disregard medical advice or delay seeking medical advice because of information you hear in this podcast or any other. And do not start or stop any medications without speaking to your health provider. Always seek the advice of a qualified health practitioner before undertaking a new health regimen. This podcast and website represents the opinion of Jeannie Oliver and guests to the show. Opinions of guests are their own and do not reflect the opinions of Genie Oliver Wellness LLC or our producers.